everyone. Welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me is... Sean Murphy. And we'll be talking about two episodes tonight. We'll be talking about I Am the Night and Off Balance. Uh, so yeah, I guess let's just get into I Am The Night. <clears throat> Do you have your eyeshadow on and, uh, the cure playing <laughs> in the background? When I texted you and said, oh, this is the mopey emo one, did you, did you, how long into, into the episode until you realized that was right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it opens, let me, <laughs> let me, let me read the description and then we can get into that. Okay. <clears throat> On the anniversary of the death of Bruce's parents, Batman accompanies Leslie Thompson to Crime Alley to place roses on the spot where they were gunned down. Meanwhile, Commissioner Gordon is on a stakeout to arrest Jimmy the Jazzman Peak during a drug smuggling ring. Batman had promised to be there, but arrives late to find a gun battle going on. He helps defeat the gangsters and arrest the Jazzman, but at a high cost. Gordon is severely wounded. The incident traumatizes Batman, and he contemplates giving up his crime-fighting career, despite the jazz man escaping prison to carry out his personal vendetta against Gordon, who had sent him to prison six years before. Yeah, um, the first shot of this is is Batman, like, <laughs> sighing heavily while sitting in a cave, <laughs> sitting in a chair in the cave. Um, yeah, it's, this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty emo episode of Batman. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, as when when you mentioned it to me, I I got excited because I thought I liked this episode. Yeah. But I think the thing I like about it really is the end where Gordon says that uh oh, if I was younger, maybe I could have been like you or you got you know something like that. It was a nice moment between Gordon and Batman. For me that goes a long way, but that would excuse a lot of the other things in this episode which I think need to be ironed out. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think the thing that's funny about it is uh, it's it's one of those th- instances where um, Batman is giving himself a lot of shit for not being there for Gordon, uh-huh. and every everybody around him is like, "Oh, don't blame yourself. You can't be everywhere at once." He a hundred percent could have been there on time. Like, yeah. there's there's no reason that he had to go visit his parents at. Ex- I mean, I guess unless it was the exact time or whatever that they were shot but i mean it's been a long time right. i feel like you could swing by there at lunch or something uh right. and well, <laughs> i mean a few things i mean also this is like a fully funded police department in a major city they've got to have the resources to be able to do this stuff without batman yes now and yeah then. like just because he's late everything falls apart I don't. I don't buy that at all. Yeah, Batman. Um, Batman should not be the linchpin in whether or not the police manage to pull this off <laughs> effectively. Exactly, and I also don't know why they had to put the rose in Crime Alley. I don't know how that ties to the story exactly. Yeah, I guess it's just a tradition that he and uh, Leslie right. do. Um, you know, a tradition we've only seen them do this one time. Well, there's, there's an episode called Appointment in Crime Alley, and it's right. him and Leslie with the rose, and then there's this Rupert Thorne, or um, the other guy. I always get it mixed up. Uh, not Daggett. Yeah, thank Daggett? you, Daggett. Yeah. Daggett has a scheme, 
and Crime Alley is tied into where Daggett is pulling off this this plan. Like it, it all makes sense why you have him and Leslie and the Roses. And this one, I feel like they just do it for fan service. But all, oh, I mean, Batman could have just been late, and then something could have happened to Gordon, and then he could feel the guilt. Like the the thing, the, the kid at the end. There's this kid that shows up, and he's like a homeless kid or whatever. And Batman tries to help him out. There's like a few threads in this that I don't think need to be here at all. Right. Um, like they could work if you picked better ways to use them, but they're just kind of thrown in, and then you've got this guilty Batman through the whole episode. I don't even know where to be to begin with this one, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the roses thing is it's an excuse. Um, <clears throat> you know, he he's very introspective in this episode, obviously, where he's kind of uh, um, reassessing his the entire right. Batman idea after he. You know he's he's late for one appointment, and uh, <clears throat> so I get, I assume that the the inclusion of the the crime alley thing where his parents were killed is just a way to uh, mm-hmm. ground that idea instead of him. You know if if he's if he's out punching the Riddler in the face or something, and that's why he's late. That doesn't quite have as much personal resonance, you know, as as it would um, <clears throat> as it does uh, bringing mm-hmm. his parents into it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the kid thing is weird. Uh, and ultimately, I don't know. It's, it's weird that that's like the ups uptick at the end of the episode is the homeless kid being like, you know what, Batman, (laughs) you told, you know, I think I'm going to go back home. Being homeless kind (laughs) of sucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to have an episode where Batman helps a homeless kid out, do it. And you can use the same character, the same voice actor. Like, I, I thought the dialogue was pretty good with that kid. I, I don't mind him so much, but I just don't know why it had to be here. Um, and you could have um, a Crime Alley thing, but you need to tie it in better. I mean, I, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Well, they do have that line. He does have that line where he says that uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon is the same age his father would have been if that's his helpful. father were alive. Yeah, that that's that gets so, that's that gets yeah. me closer to what I'm looking for, I guess. But I just didn't think they had enough of that stuff. Like I needed another reason why it had to be uh, that, or maybe Leslie Tompkins could be involved in the resolution of the story somehow. I mean, they're they're just not tied in at all. They're not tied together at all. I mean, yeah, you know, I I um. I uh I I kind of wish that Batman's reason for being late <clears throat> was almost a little bit more I guess it is kind of selfish but it's not you know he gets tied up with the the muggers I guess yeah um and that kind of makes him late but I kind of wish it was ex- explicitly selfish like right. he hangs out too long at Crime Alley or maybe he just like falls asleep or something. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he goes... What, what about this? What if he goes to visit his parents' grave, right? Because it's the, mm-hmm. the night that his parents were killed. And he puts right. the, the roses down. And he's been out... Because Leslie later on says that it's like 3 o'clock in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been out fighting crime all night. And so he swings by his parents before he goes off to this stakeout thing. And he, he just falls asleep. You know? Right. Like, where it's... It's something about the wear and tear of everything, and the fact that maybe he's losing right. a step that's uh, that's that's taken him off his game, or or caused right. this to happen, and yeah. cause him to reassess whether or not this is the right thing to do. Something like that. I would also make it his dad's birthday, or something like that. If you want to talk about Gordon being the same age, then have it be 
Thomas Wayne's birthday, and that's why Bruce is at the gravesite distracted or something like that. Sure. Like, he can have a, a moral crisis that slows him down in the beginning of this. Um, doing it that way at least ties it to the sadness he feels when, when Gordon gets gets hit. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, the other thing, too, is... So, basically, what the plot is, is Batman's got the blues. Uh, he's late. Gordon gets injured. Batman feels bad. He has the blues even more and kind of wants to quit. He, he literally throws his mask uh, down into the depths of the Batcave. Yeah. Meanwhile, the jazz man, the guy who's responsible for Gordon getting hurt, is still out there. It's like, I feel like if he can have the blues at the beginning, but Gordon being injured and the perpetrator running loose should be enough to snap him into, I mean, get Batman motivated to track this guy down. I don't know why he's mopey for so long, honestly. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't really feel like uh <clears throat> I don't feel like his his turnaround is really that earned either, you know? No. Like it's no, I agree. it's the 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 title of the episode is I am the night and I completely forgot to read who directed and wrote it. I'm going to do that now. Uh, <laughs> okay. written by uh Michael Reeves directed by Boyd Kirkland. Um it's the title is I am the night, which implies that it's like a big statement about Batman and who he is. And, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, it feels like his, his depth should be even deeper and his, right. his height should be even higher. And, you know, to, to have that sort of realization at the end that, Oh, I am the night I am Batman or whatever the implication is here. Right. Um, and it just doesn't have that. It's really kind of a middle of the road story. Right. Where I don't know. It just it's not it didn't really do much for me. No. And I well, you said that Batman's turnaround, I I agree that it's really weak. Um Robin is the one that's brought in to have a pep talk with him. Yeah. And Robin's pep talk lasts for three scenes. Um one of the scenes is basically cut into two for no reason. It's just divided when Robin goes to, so yeah, Robin goes to him first in the Batcave. Uh, where Batman's dressed as Batman, he's standing on a rock, and it's all dramatic looking. That <laughs> scene takes, it, it's cut in half, basically, so you can get back to the B story. So there's no reason why that, that had to be so long. And then, so that's two scenes right there of Robin confronting Batman. And then the third one is Bruce Wayne in his den in a robe, and Robin is going for round three to try to convince him. And the thing that convinces Batman to get back into gear is Robin says, you know, you taught me everything I know about crime fighting. But the number one rule was never give up. And I just don't think that's very strong. Right. And the the following thing after that is when they get the they get the heads up that the jazz man has escaped or whatever and, and Robin's like, you know what? J- sit here. I'll I'm gonna go do this myself. And it's like right. that's the thing that set where <laughs> Batman's like, Well, yeah. I don't want you to do this because you're not good right. at it. So I'm gonna take right. I'm gonna do this myself. Yeah, it's not it's not enough. I mean, I, I feel like I would... All right, I think Robin confronting him and snapping him out of it is fine, but I would cut that down to one scene. Um, yeah. I would have Batman... He needs to say something better to, to get Batman back to being motivated. Either he doesn't want Robin to go alone, or Robin says something that's a really good point, or some other reason that, that kicks Batman back into high gear. Um, yeah, I think that there's an episode, a good episode here, but you really need to shuffle some things around, edit some stuff out, and then streamline the whole thing. Yeah, because you know they they have this they have this little beat in there too, where uh, 
Batman is is talking to Robin. I think he's talking to Robin. It's either Robin or Alfred, and he's mm-hmm. essentially getting into, um, you know, why him being Batman is bad for everybody else. Yeah. And I I'm like, man, I you know, I feel like that could have been a whole thread too, where Robin comes to try and talk him out, and he's like, man, you know, you are. You're as much of a victim here as Gordon is. You know, you shouldn't be in here with me. Uh, it, it should. This should be like Batman isolating himself even further away. You know, th- realizing yeah. that having Robin around is is not a good idea. You know, because it's right. just going to get people hurt. I, right. I I do think. Yeah, I think there's. I think you could potentially get like a mini series of comics out of this story. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here they kind of just, you know, they give you kind of like. Not even like a shallow end. It, it's like you don't even get into the pool, really. You just see that the pool is there, yeah, um, yeah. but you don't really go for a swim so much. Yeah, no, I feel like there's about five little subplots here, which could be interesting on their own, but they're just sort of thrown together. Uh, I like Batman being sad. I, I like him questioning being Batman, of course. Like, mm-hmm. I could see a whole episode like that. I like a Robin pep talk. That's great. I like uh, you know Jim being a father figure. And, uh, you know, he might lose his dad because Jim said, I get that. Like that, that could be another one, but as it stands, it's just, everything's just so dis- disjointed that I just don't think it's very good. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Cause it's a, it's, it has, and also the, the, the villain too, like who the fuck is the jazz man? So I don't know about that. You have this amazing score by Shirley Walker in every single episode mm-hmm. and this one's, it's just kind of meh. And you have a bad guy that's called the jazz man. Yeah, and yes. I almost wish that they had done some like crazy freestyle jazz and made him more of um, a remarkable character than he was. But I get why they didn't. I mean, you have this really devastating story where Gordon might die. The last thing you want is some crazy jazz going on in the background. Like, I get that it doesn't fit the mood. Well, so I w- go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, I mean, uh, think about um, how many movies would feature that kind of jazz score over like, you know, a, a, a noir type movie where the, where the main character is at the lowest of lows. You know, I don't think it would be that out of place. I think they did oh, really you know, miss, miss I an was opportunity. thinking of like, you're, you're right. I was thinking of light peppy jazz. I wasn't oh, thinking yeah. of like, I wasn't <laughs> thinking of lethal weapon jazz. Oh yeah. No, I'm thinking lethal weapon. Like it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, saxophones I was thinking more like and sunsets. Cowboy Bebop style jazz, like fun, happy, yes, turkey, that would like be, Dick Tracy jazz. That would be kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> and he, is the jazz man the jazz man is the only the only villain in gotham who like didn't go to the villain uh armament dude like he <laughs> did he did he was he too cool for it and he didn't want to or did he go and the guy was like listen all i have is i've got one saxophone and uh you've got you can get one uh henchman who is dressed like a musical note, but that's all I got for you right now. And he just thought that was just not enough. For, yeah. I don't know. It's, I feel like the jazz yeah. man is maybe he's trying to be cool by having a name, but not having yeah. a look because he's yeah, just he a there, dude. He's like, he, I bet the guy sold him like, here's what you got to do. You got this, you got that. I got a bunch of notes. Like you got a, a whole chorus. You don't have henchmen. You have a chorus. You like yes. that? <laughs> so if you want this package, it's going to cost a thousand dollars. And the jazz man's like, Hey, I don't have the money or whatever his voice sounds like. Yeah. So he walked out of there without paying and he just decided to go with the jazz team. And meanwhile, the guy that hooks him up's like, all right, if you think you can pull it off, but I'm telling you, it's a waste of a name. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I understand you don't have money till you pull a job, and you can't pull a job until you have henchmen. It's the catch-22 of the masked villain. I understand. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jazzman, I got a word for you. Lay away. All right, see you next time. 
I do take deposits. I do take points. I gotta work in my uh, <laughs> my, my tough guy advisor voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just. I mean, you know. I mean, I guess. I guess a more. Uh, also, he's one of the more effective villains, isn't he? Because he, <laughs> he manages yeah. to he manages to shoot Gordon and almost gets away. And he's like a more straightforward kind of like realistic villain who actually uh, doesn't dick around with gas bombs and, like, riddles and shit. He's just out there to, to score money and shoot people. Yeah. All he does is carry his guns in a uh, a guitar case of some kind. Yeah. And that's pretty much... He's got a very unique face, a very unique that's, uh, voice. That's that's what it is. He didn't go to the guy. He was just like, I'm going to call myself the jazz man, and I'm just going <laughs> to... My thing is I'm going to carry my guns around in a saxophone case, and, you know, people will get it. And then, you know, somewhere the guy's like, oh, you should have come to me. I could have hooked you up. It would have been great. None of this dime store bullshit you're working with here. You know, if they had a follow-up episode where the jazz man goes to him and has to admit, like, yeah, I should have bought your package. Like, well, well, well. Yeah. What do we have here? <laughs> Guess what, asshole? Price just went up 20%. <laughs> and the name the jazz man is taken. You are now the music boy. <laughs> um, but, I you know, I think, I think it makes sense in the grand scheme of things that it wasn't like a big name villain because i think that takes too much too much focus off the story you know if it was joker or two-face then it would become about that you know Mm -hmm. um well you know if they went into the father figure thing let's just say that it was thomas wayne's birthday and you've got gordon getting hurt and then you've got tony zuko as the villain then there might be a thing there there might be a story there yeah zuko would work yeah yeah, one one of those guys I think would probably have worked. You know, um, yeah. so now you have a story a li- about a, a grief a son has for a father. That's that's your plot basically. So sure, you sure. have to redo a lot of the stuff, but that would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's unfortunate because there's there's definitely good stuff in there. Um, it was even a tough one. I mean, I, I guess there's really not much else to say about. It. I, the only thing uh, thing I was other thing I was thinking is it's the uh, second appearance of Barbara Gordon, which mm-hmm. is oh, fun. Yeah. Um, yep. It's uh, and is it, they mentioned Stonegate Prison. Is this the first yeah. time that they mentioned Stonegate? I think that it is. Oh yeah, good question. I could uh, be wrong. I remember. I think it's in at least two more. It's in the next one, definitely. There's uh, yeah, a uh, Poison Ivy episode with Stonegate in it, um, and I remember another breakout involving a helicopter. That was right in Stonegate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's so obviously designed to look like a ship, like a barge, like a, I don't know, Rikers Island type thing. But they always use the same angle when they show Stonegate, which is, it's actually pretty effective, I got I to gotta admit. <laughs> yeah, it is always, it's like the the uh, the nuclear power plant on The Simpsons. They have that one shot that they always use. <laughs> exactly. Um, Stonegate um, first appeared in Pretty Poison, which was in the first se- season. Okay, it was, uh, that's what po- it was. Poison Ivy episode, yeah. But uh, right. every time I think of it, though, I you know, I don't know if this episode, um, not this one, but the one I'm going to mention in a minute. I don't know if this one just really stuck out to me because of when it came out. But every time I see that shot of Stonegate, I think about Bane. Right. Because I feel like Maybe the Bane that's... episode, or one of the Bane yeah. episodes, features heavily here. Like he busts yeah. out of there or something. I forget exactly what it is. Yeah, maybe that's the one where it's, there's a helicopter escape right in the yard. Yeah, might be. Not sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, one thing that bugged me, too, about the very the end of this, um, 
Batman's fighting with this with with the the jazz man outside of Gordon's window. Gordon's unconscious in the hospital. Yeah. Batman shoves him through glass uh, into the, Gordon's room. Barbara pulls a curtain to like stop the glass and I don't know. She's got some she she she's not totally useless in this scene, which is nice. <laughs> um and then um Batman throws a batarang at uh the jazz man's pistol and it's like the scene starts to go slow-mo and I don't know why they decided to do that other than i guess they thought it would look cool or it draws out the tension but i just didn't right. feel like they needed to do that at all so batman does battering it goes into the barrel of the gun the gun goes off it backfires the guy's hand is hurt and that's basically it was was i alone in thinking that in a different show that the 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 throwing star goes into the barrel and he pulls the trigger and it just shoots the throwing star into gordon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then Batman's Oops. just like, I oh, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to him back in the cave, all mopey. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I do this, Alfred? <laughs> sure, I've put out a few fires. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just I, shot. I just helped someone shoot Gordon with a shuriken. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> I did. I did notice the the slow motion was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it was all just to draw the tension out. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's. It's an episode that really doesn't have a lot of conflict in it, really. You know, it's I, yeah. I feel like that's why some of the other stuff just really stands out as being, uh, you know, uh, extraneous. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, right, the yeah. homeless kid stuff feels like yeah. it's just, you know, padding. And, right. you know, there's three scenes with Robin trying to yeah. get him out of his funk. It all just seems <laughs> like they didn't have really enough in there to, to, to get a, a story out of it yeah. because there's no conflict there. No, Except inner yeah, conflict, and that's boring to watch. Yeah. Um, do you? Um, oh, I was going to ask you what, what you'd want to draw if you could draw something in this episode. Oh, I don't even know for this one. You know, I, it's not like it's it's not a terrible episode, but just you know, visually, nothing really stood out to me that much. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything? Yeah, I put um, Gordon in the hospital. I. Yeah. Uh, I've, so I've drawn Gordon in the hospital for a few of the uh, issues coming out for White Knight. And um, I don't know why. I, cause I hate drawing pool tables, as we've established. But I don't <laughs> mind drawing hospitals. And yeah. I'm talking like people, you know, propped up, pillows, uh, wires, computer monitors, you know, uh, syringes, tables, things, off, you know, skewed to the left, skewed to the right, whatever it is, plugged in, wires everywhere. Like that stuff sounds like... I would imagine a lot of artists hate drawing that stuff, but for some reason, I I like drawing hospital stuff. Yeah. Um. I'll, like I'll pull out some references and get a few of the things right, like you know the um, IV bag and you know where the uh, where the needle goes into the the arm and stuff like that. But I after I do a few of like recognizable objects in the hospital, I'll just start making stuff up. Just, right. You know, right. Eh, computer monitor, eh, some techno babble, eh, some you know blurry tools in the background. Who cares? And the other thing I like about hospitals is when you draw people in hospitals, you can cover everyone's faces with uh, masks because, you know, they're not trying to share germs. Right. So it cuts down on rendering big time. <laughs> <laughs> as, as long as you're willing to draw the, all the other stuff. You don't have to draw a lot of faces and mustaches. Yes, yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, to up At this point, I have dr- done three comic book series uh, that have been published, and all three of them had hospital scenes that required mm. me to draw people in hospital beds surrounded by equipment. 
And right. uh, you know, I I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think they're kind of fun. You know, depending on how you want to light them, you can you can be really really uh, have a lot of fun. Like that, sh- uh, you know, not to toot your horn too much, but that one shot in White Knight of uh, the Joker in the hospital bed, where it's very oh, it's yeah. mostly dark. That's a fantastic shot. Like that's that oh, stuff thanks. is a lot of fun to get into when you know you can uh, you can do a lot with a, with with a lot with a little. You know, um, yeah. But yeah, for sure. the thing that kills me every time, and in my head. When I do my when I do my sketches and stuff, I always put these things in, and it always seems like it makes sense when I put them in. But then when I go to actually do the drawing, they're like so much more surprisingly complex to get right. Is like the uh, the the things on the side of the beds that move up and down to pre- to prevent you from falling out, like those like handle uh, things. Uh, yeah, yeah, those ovals. I don't know if they're Yeah, because the, there's so many different ones. Come in, they come in so many different shapes. And, yeah. it, like, the place that they connect on the bed is always kind of strange. And, like, the the perspective of it can be sort of weird depending on, like, you know, you've got this thing that's at an angle, but it has a right angle bar in it kind of. You know, it it, it always mm. throws me off. I always end up having to, like, re rework the perspective that I've done for those panels because of those things. Yeah, those that's the first thing that I focus on when I draw a hospital bed is because yeah. it it's going to affect the camera angle because if your camera's too low and those circular things are put in the up position, you're not going to be able to see who's in right. the bed. So right. I always make sure like pick, figure out where those things are, figure out the angle they're at because usually if the person's propped up, then those things are at you know diagonals. And then I'll figure out like kind of the rest of the panel around that. It's sort of like knowing where the tires and the bumpers are in a car. Like right. before you really get started, you better nail those things down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I what, looking up uh, looking up hospital reference is always one of those things that um, hospitals are a lot more boring than you think they are. Because unless <laughs> unless you're in like the intensive care unit, there's not really a lot going on. But in your right. head, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to draw a hospital room. There's going to be like a million machines. There's going to be tubes yeah. and shit everywhere, right? It's like, well, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, if he's on his on his deathbed or just had surgery, maybe. Uh, yeah. But if it's just a normal hospital room, that stuff is not really there. It's like a TV and a light. <laughs> yeah, you look at there's like a bar uh, behind the wall. There's some stuff on the wall behind where the patient sits, a tray, an IV bag, uh, you know, a few other things. I mean... Um, you know, one, one uh, tip that I will say, if, uh, you don't enjoy drawing hospital beds, I'd say when you reference hospitals, reference like hospitals from the seventies, because it's, I can't believe anyone survived (laughs) because there's almost (laughs) nothing. I mean, outside of the ER, if you're just recovering, it's pretty fucking blank in those rooms. (laughs) Very easy to draw. You have Uh, some like nice faux, faux wooden paneling around some circuit, you know, some old school computers. I mean, yeah, it's a lot easier to draw that stuff. Yeah, I um a, a couple actually I guess it was about a year ago now I picked up a book uh, a Dylan Dog book by um, Massimo Carnavale oh, and yeah yeah, yeah I think I showed it to you one time you came over and that guy drew the fuck out of a hospital room it's like it's a yeah. horror book so you know he has a lot of leeway but man he yeah. he just kicked its ass and it made me feel yeah. really bad about the stuff yeah. that I've been doing yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that guy's real good. Yeah, you know, that guy's definitely like um top top 10 right now on the planet for sequential yeah. artists for sure. So if if I, you know, I was thinking about it, if I was going to pick something to draw, 
I feel like the, I actually feel like the slow motion thing at the end might be kind of fun because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that kind of movement and that kind of pacing is very difficult to do in a comic, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's impossible. Um, so it might be kind of fun to, to play around with that, like how you break it up into panels and, you know, uh, are you just showing the... Uh, the action, or are you taking a panel or two to do like a a, a, a look into Batman's mind or something to really slow right. it down? Do you get yeah. really abstract with the way things are going? I think there's there's some there's some uh, some fun leeway in there to do a a slow motion action scene like that it might be kind of fun. Right. Yeah, that'd be good too. Um, what would you I give this one a rating? Uh, I'm gonna go two out of five. Yeah, I'm going to agree. It's uh it's really and you know this is the first episode I I don't I feel bad saying this cuz I know he's he's going he's swinging for the fence, but I feel like this is the first Kevin Conroy performance that I've actively disliked. Huh. It just it's it's so mopey and it's so whiny <laughs> and he's so over the top and he's going oh, you know, he's <laughs> It's just I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not feeling it. Yeah. I can't it's hard to judge the actors because True. I mean, unless you're in the recording studio with them. I mean, for all we know, the director's like, No, 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 we need more mopey. More you gotta draw it out right. more. You gotta yeah. sound more pathetic. Come on, come on. I'm not gonna let you leave. I'm not gonna give you your paycheck until you, until you give me what I need. And Kevin Conroy might just be rolling his eyes like, "Fuck! I just want to get out of here and get drunk." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe it's maybe I'm, yeah. I'm probably being unfair to, in in, uh, in criticizing that aspect because um, <laughs> uh, you know I'm sure it's I, that's the difference with animation too. Is you know you, what you do in the studio on the day, you never know how that's going to react with the yeah. stuff they actually put it with. So. Yeah, I mean, you said Boyd Kirkland directed this one. Yeah, so maybe Conroy was like, "Shut up, Boyd." <laughs> <laughs> fucking name is that anyway i gave you mopey this is what i this is what you paid me for <laughs> listen batman doesn't do mopey but if he has to he does it like that um did you catch uh at, at one point they said uh the jasmine was cited at the corner of adams and o'neill oh no i didn't that's yeah great, it's a, a shout out to uh neil adams and and denny o'neill famous batman yep, writer and artist cool. And uh, the kid, the uh, orphan kid, was uh, Seth Green. Oh, cool! Yeah, I always yeah. I, in my head I thought, you know what? If that kid, if this was live action, that would be Michael J. Fox from the eighties. He looks like kid. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was I, I, uh, for a second, a couple seconds. I thought it was him because <laughs> he looks kind of <laughs> like him and he sounds a little bit like him. Yeah, yeah, but he would have been really expensive in that. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I can see why they went with <laughs> yeah. Seth Green. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for I Am The Night. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with Off Balance. All right, Off Balance, written by Len Wine, directed by Kevin Altieri. In this one, while following Count Vertigo's trail, Batman encounters Talia, daughter of the head of the Society of Shadows, who was sent by her father to prevent the capture of a sonic drill that the Count stole. 
But after his identity is accidentally, accidentally revealed to Talia, Batman remains off balance as to where her true loyalties lie. Ooh, that's a nice little uh, play in words in there. Man, whoever wrote this one is having fun. Uh, note, this episode is a direct adaptation of Into the Den of the Death Dealers from Detective Comics number 411, May 1971, by Denny O'Neill with art by Bob Brown. The story is famous for the first appearance of Batman's on-and-off lover, Talia al Ghul. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I half-loved this and I half-hated this. Maybe hate. Yeah. Hate's not the right word, but it's like... The design of it, I thought, was great. It felt very Mike Mignola-inspired, um, and there was yeah. a lot of cool, like, Fleischer-esque type stuff, like the castle and the uh, the lab were yeah. really cool. Talia's design looks great. Those yeah. ninjas and stuff had a cool look to them. But yep. then Count Vertigo shows up, <laughs> and he looks like a Venture Brothers character, <laughs> and he looks so out of place and so goofy. And it was any time he was on screen just really killed it for me. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I would add to you. I thought the animation was really top notch in this one. Yeah, it was solid. Um, yeah, the way that the I like the way the gun looks. I like how it acts. Uh, the sound it makes. It doesn't just shoot a beam. It, it sort of gears up and like the, it looks like a microphone gun, and the microphone cone lights up white and then you look at what it's aimed at and it's like a swirl of dust and then the ground falls out like it's, it's bringing in a team that could like take a set of stairs and bust it up and drop it i mean that that's not everyone can do that that well and i thought that the uh, animation this stuff was like really top notch they probably felt like oh this is going to be rachel ghoul's first appearance so let's really make it look pretty um and you know talia is so gorgeous in this um yeah. I, I a side note, like I do think out of I'm not a big fan of Batman having romances generally. Mm-hmm. Like I think you have to be really careful when you when you do it. But I do buy his romance with Talia because she's kind of disconnected from everyone else he knows in Gotham, so it's kind of safe. She's sort of like the bad girl that no one's going to really find out that that he banged or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I've I've always I think we we touched on this briefly last yeah. season in the cat first catwoman episode because i think we were both right. talking about how we never really liked the catwoman batman relationship uh-huh. um and i think yeah i think we both said that always we always preferred preferred talia talia feels like she makes more sense yeah um i get the catwoman thing but i i always found talia a little bit more interesting because there's this weird like uh I mean, they don't get into it here, obviously, because it's her first appearance. But there's always this um, weird sort of uh, uh, one-sided arranged marriage thing going on where she's like, no, we're going to be together eventually. It's going to happen. And Batman's Mm -hmm. like, lady, I don't know who you are. Uh, Leave me alone. And, you know, it's it's a weird sort of reverse Pepe Pepe Le Pew thing. That's a good analogy. Um, I agree that the bad guy is a little dopey. Um, I don't know what else I would have done, honestly. So here's a question uh, mm-hmm. that I was going to say for later. Is Vertigo part of the League of Shadows? I'm not sure. Because I was Be- confused by the, 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 the ending on this one. So yeah, I'm, I'm because I thought that 
the ninja guys were working with Talia, but then the, at the mm-hmm. scene at the docks, the ninja guys seem to be working with Vertigo. Right. And the way that she talks about him, it's as uh, as though he is some sort of in, he's involved with the league somehow, mm-hmm. um, or the society rather. I was going to mention that how it's every time this group shows up, it seems like they have a different inversion of their name. In this oh, one, it's yeah. the so- Society of Shadows, which is pretty lame. Uh, okay. Obviously, in the movies, it's the League of Shadows. Mm-hmm. And I think in uh, uh, some other place, it's been the League of Assassins. I think it's in the comics is the League of Assassins. Okay. okay. <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it was kind of confusing as to, as to what the status of, of this guy was. Right. And I know that they wanted Talia to be mysterious, and then she turns on Batman in the last second. Like I, right. I know that that's what they wanted to get to. But what that means is all these ninjas and this guy Vertigo, uh, she apparently was working with them. So I guess her raiding the castle and her fighting these ninjas in the woods and all the stuff that, that happened, all this, the booby traps that almost killed her was all set up so that she could get the gun from Batman or so she could find out who Batman was. Like, I don't know what they were really going for there. Yeah. Um, so if I, if I'm, I'm looking at the, at the, uh, at the story from the comic and it says, uh, in the story, Batman rescues Talia from Dr. Dark, apparently the leader of the League of Assassins. It is eventually revealed that the League is just one part of Ra's al Ghul's organization, the Demon, and that Dark apparently turned against Ra's after fa- failing in a mission. The usual punishment for this is death. At the end of the story, she shoots and kills Dark to save Batman's life. So it sounds like he's kind of like dealing in his own offshoot of the, of the League of Assassins. So I think well, so it's there, yeah. something like that, yeah. There, there was a line at the end when she's in the uh, gyrocopter where she's talking to Rachel Ghoul, and she says, I, I've dealt with uh, Vertigo, or Vertigo is taken care of. So I thought, okay, so maybe Vertigo went rogue. Yeah. And he took some League of Shadows agents with him, and she was sort of taking him back out of the equation to re- give her father control again, or there's some politics happening or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what's missing is I, unless I'm forgetting it, I don't think there's a scene with Vertigo and Talia where they really talk to each other. Right. And I think that would have gone a long way to have some sort of dialogue between them. You know, even if you want to keep it kind of shady to, to, yeah. to cover up what the true intention of it is, some sort mm-hmm. of implication as to what this, they're standing together is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, a couple of tiny things I thought that were funny. Uh, so at the very beginning, uh, it takes place on the Statue of Liberty. And uh, yep. Batman's this guy's t- giving Batman information on the League of Shadows. League of Shadows ninjas show up. Um, <laughs> Batman uh, throws one over the... Oh, wait, what happens? It goes in the water. Oh, so the League of Shadows ninja takes the informant and yep. throws him off the, at the edge... And it looks like he's fucking dead. Yep. And he even says, like, this is what happens to people who cross us. But, of course, because of standards and practices, the guy yep. hits the water and he pops up. So, like, okay, this is what happens to people that cross us. You get a little wet. Yep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm pretty sure it would be more effective if he fucking died there. Uh, and then when the uh, League of Assassins ninjas fail, their masks uh, gas. They gas themselves and take themselves out, like you right. know, an honorable which death is, or whatever. Which is the universal symbol in action movies for like arsenicking yourself and killing yourself. 
Yes, but you know they were sure to tighten that up in the next scene and go, oh, they took a thing and gassed themselves and it made them forget everything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I was thinking that too. As soon as they had that like ADR line of them being like, yeah, they gassed themselves and erased their own memories. I was like, that's definitely a note from the studio. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, it would have been cool to see the PG-13 version of this, uh, but it is a little dark when the guys are like, let's kill ourselves. We failed or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, the people that crossed the league, they could have just thrown themselves in the water and gotten wet, <laughs> according to their own rules. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, you know what's funny about that? Because I did write this down in my notes that apparently there's always a body of water for somebody to fall into. Technically, uh-huh. technically that ninja was not lying because what happens to Vertigo at the end of this episode, Talia throws him into the moat outside from the, from the window of the castle. <laughs> Yeah, they're nothing but consist- incon- er, consistent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess, yeah, if you cross the League of Shadows, you get thrown into the water. <laughs> I think what happens is the League of Shadows will train you to do everything except for swim. Yes. So yes. if they ever need to take you out, they'll just find a body of water and just chuck you in and watch you dry- drown yes. slowly. <laughs> Sounds right. Um, um, there's a point where Gordon's in the shooting range by himself in the dark shooting at sh- man-shaped... Um, targets yep. and batman is suddenly there standing directly in front of a man-shaped target yep. but it's slightly blocked out more because batman's standing i'm like you might want to find a better place to stand dude <laughs> yeah i i noticed that too but i also noticed that after that shot he walks in from the side yeah so like he so, wasn't he wasn't downrange at the shooting th- right? right is that what that is, would have been way more stupid you're right you're right i i think i think they, they had like targets hanging off the side behind in the safety part of the range i don't know if you grab a new piece of paper and you put it up batman's standing in front of a stack of paper or something <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it's a it's probably not it's an odd choice for him and probably not the best directed scene but uh you know right you work with what you got i guess so i mean i i, I does i don't understand why batman has to sneak up all creepily on gordon when he's holding a gun yeah. why can't he just <laughs> You know, hey, they let me in. Uh, there's a League of Shadows. We need to talk. Blah 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 blah. Why does he have to like? She scare the shit out of Gordon every single time. Yeah. Like I get why maybe he leaves and disappears because I don't know. Maybe I don't don't get that either. <laughs> what would it hurt if Batman's like, all right, see ya. I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> I don't know why he has to just just go off on on his own. He's already on the case, man. He doesn't have time to say bye to people. He's gotta he's gotta yeah. get the job done. You know. I like that he does it, but I, practically speaking, he really doesn't need to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, so Count Vertigo, uh, if anyone's interested, he's primarily a uh, Green Arrow villain, actually. And uh, his his fictional biography is uh, he first appeared in Star City, where he attempted to teal, steal back the jewels his parents had sold when they escaped to England after the war. The victim of a hereditary inner ear defect that affected his balance, Vertigo had a small electronic device implanted in his right temple that compensated this problem. Tinkering with Mm -hmm. the device, Vertigo learned he was able to affect other people's balance as well, distorting their perceptions so they literally couldn't tell up from down an effect known as Vertigo. Donning a costume and taking the name Count Vertigo, he embarked on a life of crime. This would bring him into conflict with heroes Green Arrow and Black Black Canary, Count Vertigo's black and green costume with its insignia of concentric rings, which is different from the show. 
uh, was designed by Trevor Von Eden, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, so, so they brought him in because he was kind of an Easter egg to old school readers. I think right? I think but, it was because the this character Dark, uh, Dr. Dark from the comic, probably didn't do anything cool. And mm-hmm. Count Vertigo has like a cool thing that he can do. Um, right. So that can, you know, that would be interesting to animate and uh, <laughs> could be a lot of fun with, you know, the the twisty, the twisty, twisting right. around of uh, the ups and the downs and stuff like that. If I had but to guess. But you said his original costume was uh, green and black rings. Yes. That yeah. was his, but they, they turned him into like, uh, what's his name? M. Bison from Street Fighter. Yes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like M Bison. I imagine yeah. I imagine I imagine this guy walked into the uh the supervillain uh <laughs> store and he like fully, he walked in fully formed. Like he walks in and the guy's just like, I don't know what I can do for you. You are pretty much already there. You know? Like, yo, to get a look at this fucking guy. Because um, he's so goofy. Like his his power is pretty cool, but I don't know why they couldn't give him like a cooler look or something you know yeah uh, i don't have anything vertigo wise i do have a, a M. bison costume yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about capes <laughs> um yeah I, I don't know what else i would have done the, the the eye patch that makes you dizzy um i don't know <laughs> yeah there was a lot of stuff in this one that was kind of like head scratching because like the castle that they're in has mm-hmm. all these booby traps in it and is that like did he do that right. Um. Also, oh, my favorite scene. My favorite scene in the episode is when Batman's trying to figure out where this guy is, and Alfred is just casually cleaning the penny in the background. Yeah, I had that written down too. And it it feels like it feels like one is telling the other one to fuck off by doing that, but I'm not sure which one it is because it's like it's, a- it's such a bullshit job. <laughs> Alfred is on a ladder polishing a three-story penny. Yeah, basically, squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. <laughs> so, like, like, I imagine, I imagine either Alfred is doing it very passive aggressively because he's so bored, <laughs> or he's doing it because, like, he ruined Bruce's pants and he's being punished. It must have been that. I mean, you could just easily grab a power washer and take care of that in yeah. two, two seconds. <laughs> I don't know why he's got to do it by hand. But even then, at the end of that scene, it's like. The there was the logic they used to figure out where he is 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 not is like dicey at best where where mm-hmm. he's like oh oh wait a minute he didn't leave by the east he went to the west computer yeah. bring up all the castles yeah. in the west of God you know it was just yeah weird. No, oh that's where Skeletor's castle is the really evil looking place that I haven't investigated for a while yeah so uh so so Talia we talked about Talia a little bit uh, Talia is yeah. pretty. She's pretty much the same no matter where she shows up. I don't know if mm. if that's means she has a strong character or if she doesn't have that strong of a character cuz she's always mm. sort of like uh she's either a romantic interest, she's a villain or she's some combination of the two. Um Razel cool. What's that? She's brainwashed by her father. Like she does everything her dad tells her. Yeah. So she's not empowered. She's just under the foot of her dad. I, I feel. Oh, is that is that how it ends up playing out? I I don't remember what happens with them with her. Yeah, later. over and over and over. She's in, at least in this cartoon. She's always just she does what her dad wants. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah and Ra's al Ghul. I I figure we'll hold off on talking about him until his first real episode because right. he he's only well, in so, it at the end. Yeah. So that's here's my 
here's what I pose to you. Before we get into ratings, here's what I think. If this episode, the first 99% of it, if you cut out Ra's al Ghul and you switched out Talia for Catwoman or any other female character. Sure. So this is not an introduction to Ra's al Ghul. Yep. Would you like the episode more or less? Or because it's Talia and because she has more meaning later on and because it's Ra's first appearance, does that give the episode a better score? Um, I think it does, yes. Because uh, right. I was thinking as you were saying that I was like, I wouldn't use Catwoman because right. Catwoman has too much history because you're thinking Talia has got to be a character that's kind of new. So my first right. thought was to use Red Claw. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that character. <laughs> right. So okay, if, what if you it, use Talia, but you don't have her dad in it at all? You just um, set it up. I don't know. I mean, I guess that kind of changes how the ending plays out, but I see what you're saying. Right. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like cheating. At the, at the very end, you go, oh, my God, there he is. And you suddenly go up a whole other grade point, And I don't know if that's necessarily fair. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I, I think without him, I think it still works pretty well because there was a lot of stuff that I did like about it. Um, mm. You know, I thought the animation, like you said, the animation was really cool. Uh, there's a great yeah. shot of um, Batman, like, swooping down, like an upshot of Batman swooping down that I feel like, they took right off of a poster where he's like all in shadow and then he's coming down with the wings out and everything. Yeah. And that was really great. Um, yeah. And anytime the vertigo effect happens, you get, everything starts to swirl. I mean, there was definitely some, um, you had to bring your, the chops to animate that kind of stuff. It was yeah. kind of like a fun house, fun house effect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the design was cool, but yeah, I think if you, it all ultimately, yeah, it's all ultimately just a, a long build up to revealing Ra's al Ghul because right. if you, yeah, if you take him out, there's really not much of a story there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, but if you did this episode and talked about the league of shadows, like made that more of a thing and then talked about this guy who was trying to take over the league of shadows, he was like a, a rogue wing of it. And she was there to stop him basically. Then this, I think this would have been a lot better. And then you could still have the Rachel Ghoul thing at the very end, but make this about a terrorist organization where there's a power struggle. Make that make it more about that because right. if that was what it was, it certainly wasn't very clear. Yeah, and uh, you know, the other thing I was thinking is uh, Batman doesn't really bat an eye when she brings up the Society of Shadows. He's not like, "Hey, before we go any further, what is that?" <laughs> You know, Wait, he is that just like the League of Shadows, or yeah. the what's the other one? <laughs> yeah, the League of Assassins. Yeah, like yeah. he he never really like gets into that at all. He's like, oh, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. Like, there's no for for they kind of drop. It feels like they were so excited to get to Ra's al Ghul that they kind of dropped some of the story points that needed to be there along the way. You know. Yep, hundred percent agree. <laughs> um. Do you have anything? What would you want to draw on this one? Um, I I don't want to draw the vertigo effect. Yeah. I feel like yes. that's drawing... I don't like drawing hallucination stuff. I don't like drawing magic, and I don't like drawing vertigo effects type stuff. Um, I think I would probably want to draw the um, gyrocopter. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, yes. Or um, 
Ortalia looks really like a really fun character to draw, and I I do not enjoy drawing women. I always struggle, but when I look at her character design, I'm like, oh, awesome! Half her face is covered, sweet. A lot of it's just in black. She's like like Scarlet um, from GI Joe meets Snake Eyes. I would yeah, draw she, her. For she's sure. dressed kind of like Nick Fury, like old school Nick Fury with like the <laughs> the white belts and the kind of blue shirt and stuff. Totally. Yeah. How about you? Um, I think. I, I think I, you know, I think in the inverse of you, I think I might want to give the weird stuff a shot, the Vertigo stuff. Yeah. Because um, that, that takes me out of my comfort zone a little bit. I had to do, yeah. uh, when I was drawing Redline, there was a couple sequences that I had to do uh, hallucination, like drugged up sequences and stuff. And I found them actually yeah. really fun to do. Um, yeah. And they forced me to think a little bit differently about how I was designing the page and stuff like that. I, yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm like a master at that stuff because there are people out there who are masters at that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but it is it can be fun to do sometimes. You know, it lets you it lets you let loose a little bit. I think. Yeah, I think I yeah, would go with yeah. that. Actually, yeah, I mean, or or yeah. I would do eight pages of could I could I <laughs> can I do a <laughs> a flashback. Uh, backup story for Curse of the White Knight. That's twenty-two pages of uh, Alfred cleaning the penny. <laughs> moment to moment storytelling. Yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, side note. Um, talk about uh, business stuff. So I, I've gotten because of White Knight and Curse of the White Knight. I've gotten uh, like ten people, writers who, who want to take a crack at writing something with White Knight, mm-hmm. and I I don't know what to do with all of these amazing offers. And um, the reason I'm bringing this up is I thought about pitching DC a series, um, White Knight, Almost Got Him. Oh, cool. Yeah. Redo Almost Got Him. But then I could give each. So you have like, you know, 10 issues. Each one is written and drawn by a different team. And that would give, you know, you a chance to do something. I would obviously try to rope in uh, Paul Dini. Um, Yeah. Some of my other friends who were anxious to try to write Neo Joker or whatever. I I don't even know what you'd do. Yeah. but I'm, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. <laughs> I think it sounds pretty fun. I mean, yeah, I, I think it would be a, uh, uh, I think it would be a pretty cool event. You know, um, yeah. I, I don't know how stuff like that generally sells. Like, do, do, do one shots like that tend to do well? Do you know? Well, so that's the thing. One shots are, are not always dependable as far as sales. Yeah. But if you said this is almost got them, White Knight. Oh yes, yeah. That's how yeah. you brand it, and you say it's a six issue series. It's um, they're going to be told like you don't want to just buy one you definitely want to get all six but the justification for switching writers and artists would be each issue would be about a different character telling about explaining how they almost got batman and you could even set it up as a um this is a poker game they have every year um and the episode that we saw was just one of the many years where they do this and not everyone always shows up for these poker games so this yeah. would be like 10 years down the road or whatever because that's generally what you know i think white knight takes place after all that stuff yeah so you could include neo joker you could include you know i don't know whoever you wanted um so it's not necessarily a bunch of one shots but it does because you have different narrators for each flashback you could justify getting different writers and artists to tackle each issue yeah that would be pretty cool man i think that would be that would be a lot of fun because you know it, it does uh it allows people to play in your universe a little bit and uh, and have a, yeah. a lot of different people come to the plate. Yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. The, the one thing I do worry about, though, is getting allowing things to get watered down. Um, 
not that you know you or Paul or whoever wouldn't do a good job. Or, I know the artist. <laughs> I like that you. I like that you're mentioning me in the same <laughs> breath as Paul fucking Dini. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. Like I think, um, like if it comes down to me or him, I'm, I'll be okay if you go with him. You know. <laughs> I want to. I'd still want to push for you because you didn't, I don't think you got proper credit for helping me out and this would be a way to, you know, uh, no, I, I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I also worry about, um, what, what, like the, the world that I've created is so tight because I'm writing and drawing everything myself. I sure. control everything very carefully with the exception of Von Fries, which is, you know, Klaus Chanson's drawing. And we'll have to see how, um, the reaction is on that and how the sales are. But I, I don't know if, um, like I don't know how you feel about the Watchmen prequels or the sequels. I don't know what they're doing with Watchmen now. But did the prequels or sequels add to what was Watchmen? Did it get a little bastardized by the suits when they started doing that? Because you know it's definitely I, something to. Con- I feel like yeah. Watchmen is a bit of a different animal because it was that was a completely kind of new well. Let's just say for the sake of argument, it was a new universe that very much had a uh, beginning, a middle, and an end built into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it was so long between when that came out and when they started doing that other stuff that uh, um, and also it was I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of how this stuff works, but like Alan Moore was I know for a fact that he was not involved with it, so there's always that. Mm-hmm. you know there's right. the difference between doing something with the creator at, as an integral part of it, and there's doing it mm-hmm. with the creator not as a part of it, and, and then it kind of starts to feel like a money grab. But, like, if it's your idea, right. and, uh, I mean, look at BPRD, right, the offshoot of Hellboy. Right. Mike Mignola yeah. is involved in every one of those issues, whether or not, I don't know to what extent, but his name is on every mm-hmm. one of them as a, as a plotter or something. So, Right. So I could be like, ring, ring, hey, Paul, listen. <laughs> I need you to rewrite. I need you to bring your A game, man. I don't need your, uh, you know, uh, werewolf Batman episode. I need your heart advice here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, think of it like you know, uh, uh, some of the some of my favorite stuff, and I think I I think some of your favorite stuff is the Batman black and white stuff, right? Right. I yeah. mean, is it really that different than doing like a Batman black and white, but it's in your universe? You know. Well, the reason I like Batman Black and White, so for those who don't know, it's Batman Batman Black and White is a um, graphic novel of short stories they put out every, I don't know, whenever they feel like it. I think there's four volumes now, mm-hmm. and, and you get like these major creators to come together, and nothing is colored, hence Black and White. So you have like eight-page stories or ten-page stories of like the best of the best. They pay much better page rates so that everyone really brings their A-game. Um and I enjoy those, but I'm mostly enjoying it because of the art. Right. There's a lot of just meh scripting that happens in those mm-hmm. things. It's really just like a, a, a stage for the artists to kind of do their thing, I think. Yeah. Um, well, but I, I think your BPRD point is actually pretty valid. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, if you, if you're, if it's going to be your thing, then I assume you're going to be involved and you have a bit of a, yeah. uh, you know, a caretaker <laughs> aspect to it where, <laughs> You know, if it's if it doesn't fly with what you have in your mind for your 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 stuff, then it's got to be changed right. or something. You know, right? And that's the other thing too is like I don't want to tell other creators what to do. Like I I tend to just want to trust people and let them do their thing. Sure. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe the other the other argument is just keep doing what I'm doing. Just do volume one, volume two, volume three. Like, don't spread it out too much. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, well, I, I don't like being a manager. Like, because that's what writers are. Like, Scott Snyder is sort of he's a writer, but he's also managing five different books at the same time. Right. Talking to different writers, like that's a whole other skill set that I don't necessarily want to do. You know, I mean, right, I could, right. but I'd rather just be drawing my own shit and not being on the phone all day looking at spreadsheets, making sure things are overlapping correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something to think about because I mean, I you know, you're you're probably going to want to be involved, so you're going to have to do some of that. Um, <laughs> you know, if I don't know what your plans are exactly after Volume Two is done, but if you're not going directly into Volume Three, it might be a way to keep you know one foot in and one foot out. Where if you if did something like this in lieu of you know in between two and three, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just want to throw it out there. I thought of it the other day, and I was going to text you, but uh, I figured I'd just bring it up live. Yeah, why <laughs> not? I'm sure. I'm sure. At the very least, people listening to this will be able to tell you uh, whether or not it's a good idea. Yeah, everyone listening. And I noticed too, um, rolling out the episodes one week at a time seems to be get, garnering us more attention. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're even getting feedback like, "Oh yeah, I love your idea of um, poison ivy." Someone oh said right, the other, like the exploding Christmas trees, and I'm seeing a lot more interactions with people that are checking the podcast out. So yeah, I just um, I just saw that today. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, so you know that that if that person is listening again, <laughs> wants to let us know <laughs> on Twitter if he thinks that this is a good idea or not. Uh, White Knight almost got him. Then yeah, let, let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be that would be very cool. I'd love to hear what people think about that. Um, I don't think we did we rate this this episode. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go three. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I, I think. I, and I hate to do it because it's a beautiful looking episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably like the most beautiful looking th- middling <laughs> graded episode that I've seen. Yeah, I I'm gonna I think I'm right there with you. Um, it's funny though because I feel like I I gave Terror in the Sky a four. I think. And yep. that was based almost entirely on the animation. And this one has, yeah, I would say this story, make, there's less of a story in this one than there was in that one. So, yeah, I think I'm comfortable giving this one a three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, <laughs> so uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, you know, if you like the show and you want to hit us up with a comment or a question, you can find us on Twitter at BatAssPodcast, B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast, or email us at BatAssPodcast at gmail.com, B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to tell us whether or not you like that White Knight Almost Got Him idea, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to give us a, ra- a rating or review on iTunes, please do that. would love it. And, uh, yeah, next time we will be back with The Man Who Killed Batman and Mudslide. Ooh, a Clayface episode. I haven't seen him in a while. Ooh, I hope it's the one I'm thinking it is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thanks, guys. We will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>